0: Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and a retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Anything you get really, really great at, whatever the hobby is, whatever the profession is, you reach a point of literacy where you start to have your own unique way of doing things because no two people have ever come from the same exact set of circumstances. I am talking about the willingness to be seen as who I really am. I think that is a distinguishing characteristic of really masterful speakers. If you get too far into your head and you worry about it being perfect, you'll you won't you won't dig deep enough into your heart, which is the which is the part that you can't you can't edit heart in.
1: And there's something about taking what we don't really understand or what we love or what we appreciate and externalizing it, that we ask, we ask questions through our art together, collectively, and that art is this process of cohesion. It's an alchemy that takes place in art.
0: Why do we love stories? What makes storytelling so powerful? For the next four episodes, we take a look at how the art of storytelling connects us, a connection which is integral to our well-being as humans. We will look at storytelling from the perspective of four creative professionals. Drummer Tim Buell, speaker Catherine Johns, writer Randy Heller, and artist and writer Arlette Manassi. Arlette has been painting and writing all of her life. As of this recording, she was completing a Master of Letters, or MLIT, degree in Literature of Highlands and Islands at University of Highlands and Islands, Scotland. In this episode, we explore how a life as a creative has allowed Arlette to serve her community and much, much more. This is the episode about storytelling with art the last installation of this series. It is my hope that you've been inspired to dig deep and find ways to answer the question, what's my story?
1: So I live in Scotland. I was born in a French nunnery on the, co- on the edge of a rainforest that doesn't actually exist anymore. And these um, it wasn't the nuns that gave me the name. Um, But there were a lot of French-speaking people. So everybody had a French name. So they gave me a French name. And I was always curious to know what my name meant. And I discovered many, many years later that it came from a province in the south of France, which was well-known for its very brave women. And one of them was Joan of Arc. And there were a group of women called the Charette. So Arlette comes from that. So it's also linked with Charles, so Charles, Charlotte, it means those that are loyal. So there's a, a bond of loyalty in the name. And they were known as very sort of um, progressive, uh, how would you describe it, defenders of the truth. And um, I kind of identify with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: very happy when I learned my name. And I moved to Scotland when I was four. Um my father is English, so we ke- we returned to Scotland um, so first of all to England then we came to Scotland and as soon as I arrived in Scotland, I loved it. something to do with its it's really ancient landforms you know the, the oldest rock in the world is here. Um, so I then lived in London for many, many years and I got married in London. I I had a family in London and then about five years ago I moved back because I have parents that are older and I have family here. And so what I did was I left everything that I had built up in my life over 20 years and I found myself back at a different kind of beginning. Hmm. And I also found that I'd come home but I hadn't really come home because everything changes and everything moves on. So it was literally like starting from scratch.
0: Occasionally, I will meet a wise woman who feels lost because she's been so engrossed in caring for family and being in a career, and then she retires, or she's an empty nester and or empty nester. And she feels not that necessarily that this is an opportunity to start again, but a feeling of a deep sense of loss and where to begin again. So it's interesting that you say that. Can you share a little Mm -hmm. bit more about how you navigated that change?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say is I navigated it very badly. Mm. So we don't have to navigate things well Mm -hmm. to navigate them. Mm At the end of the day, we will navigate them, and that's good to know. And as we're going, we begin to realize, I'm not doing a very good job of this. So then we go out and get help, or we do something so that we can help ourselves. And little by little, we end up on the other side of the shore, and actually we're fine. And it's really nice to know that at the beginning, that you are going to feel that sense of loss. Why wouldn't you? It would be strange if you didn't. You're going to doubt yourself. You're going to have moments of anger and frustration. You're going to feel misunderstood. You're going to feel self-pity. And then there are going to be days when you wake up and you think, well, what's all that about? You know, that doesn't mean anything. So those are just parts of being a human being. And... Little by little, we make the connections that help us tell a new story. Mm. Life is always so interesting because it's never the way you think or decide it's going to be. And so the best thing to do is just let go and just go for it. Just just accept what life gives us as, as the greatest gift. Because the test in itself is a bounty, it's a gift. Fear of failure is
0: what we don't want. So we tell ourselves our stories. Can't help it. How do we shift the narrative?
1: Well, maybe the narrative shifts us. Most of the time we don't even know the story we're telling ourselves. That's why we go and do things. Sometimes we have to do things like yoga. To stop telling ourselves a story. Mm
0: -hmm. story And meditation, yes.
1: Yeah, because sometimes the story isn't that helpful. Most of the time, the story is about ourselves. That's really not helpful because the story we tell ourselves is usually very far from reality. For one reason, we're usually much harder on ourselves. We usually have far less faith in ourselves. We don't know ourselves. You know, like, I'm a Baha'i, and Baha'u'llah says this thing, which really struck me the first time I, I ever heard it. He says, you know, I am closer to you. This is the manifestation of God speaking. I am closer to you than your life vein, Right? So not everyone believes in God, but we know about life. We know about the life force. And if we just think about that, that life itself is closer to to us than our own life being, the source of life. That's extraordinary. So we want to we want to live close to that. And the way that we live close to that sense is actually in service to it, in service to mankind, in service to one another. And women are very, very much in touch with this. So Nadine, I think what you're doing is very interesting because you're asking people to also. Understand that service includes remembering who you really are and who you really are somehow, for some reason, when we do this work like yoga, or even just going for a walk. I don't know. For each person, it's different. But somehow yoga brings us to it very directly, that there's something noble within us. And what it requires is our attention. It requires us to take care of it. And that if we nurture that in going back out into the world to do our actual work, whatever it is, to find a new purpose when we've raised a family Mm -hmm. or to enjoy our leisure time when our working days are folding over into a new chapter and find out what is interesting now, what it is that taps into our deepest curiosity, Where, what it is that we love so that we have something new that we can share with the world or draw on this wealth of experience and be able to pass it on in a very kind of wholesome way to the next generation.
0: I want to hear more about how you do that in your work because that's what drew me to you is reading your writing. It's very eloquent. And listening to you describe your art. Can you tell us about that?
1: Well, I worked initially as a dancer. I trained originally as a dancer. I trained as a dancer because actually I was at art school. And my professor came up to me one day and said you should work in theater well the theater training schools wouldn't have me because I didn't have I just wasn't middle class enough you know it was at the time when there were lots of stunningly beautiful English actresses with long hair with lovely accents and they were the rage and I just didn't fit I was like this very kind of a village girl from the west coast of Scotland, where it's always raining, and you know, there are these it's a very simple way of life. So, I didn't have those manners, I was brought up in a completely different environment. And I ended up doing dance, and then I became a choreographer. And out of being a choreographer, I started working with text and music, and I ended up directing. I just loved my work, I was just into it, and then. I was stuck in an airport. That's what happened. I was stuck in an airport in the south of Spain and I watched these people trapped in this waiting room in a five and a half hour delay. And all there was to look at was perfume and alcohol, everything in glass bottles. Uh And people were in their shorts and I could just tell they were about to go back home to lousy jobs. And I just thought, this is terrible because my life is just so far away from the reality of what these people have to like, live with. Mm-hmm. I don't have any money, but I have a really rich life and everything that I have somehow isn't reaching these people. And I just nearly died on the spot because I was trapped there with them and I just felt irresponsible. And I thought I have to find out how I can serve actually my society. I have to figure out how to make a difference. And now I'm just concentrating on writing and making art. Yeah. So I'm not working in theatre as a director at all now.
0: So why do you need to make art? Why do you need to write?
1: I actually don't need to write. Uh, I, I started writing when I was four. The first poem I ever did was at five. And my teacher said to me, can I keep this? It was a poem about the rain because I loved the rain in Scotland. I just thought it was like magic. So I said, yeah, okay. I didn't think about it. So writing was always completely natural to me. Mm -hmm. I bore my friends because I write really long emails to them. They say, oh, God, another essay from (laughs) our (laughs) life. And one day my dad rang me up and he said, the thing about you is that you're a writer, but you don't write. So what can we do about it? And when you hear a thing like that from your dad, you realize that he's telling you the truth. And one day I got stuck in my work. My work wasn't happening. I, I was trying to set up a business and it was not moving. And I had lost money on it. And I was experiencing a lot of stress over it. And then I thought, I need to figure something out. So it was that moment of urgency, that panic. The doors had closed. And I signed up for this little course with, I think it was Seth Godin, something to do with leadership. So I sat down, I looked at it, and I came out of it and I thought, Oh yeah it's obvious i can just write cuz actually here i am stuck out in the middle of nowhere don't need anything except my computer so i made this commitment to start writing and and i took it very seriously so i i started treating it like my work learning practicing reading and And then I started attending courses. So I still have to see something published. Okay? I'm still on my way. And I've been doing that now for two years. But the thing is, I know it will happen.
0: I simply admire your optimism, though. It's difficult to feel like, yes, I'm on the right way. How do you know?
1: Well, life gives you a lot of feedback.
0: (laughs) Hmm. -hmm.
1: You could be pretty convinced about something you're doing, but if the feedback is, you know, the feedback will tell you because it'll either make the fire burn brighter, in which case the tests are galvanizing you, and you're going to do, you're going to, you're here to create a breakthrough for yourself and for other people, and you must persist. Or you're heading down the wrong path. And you must recognize the confirmations are sometimes no, no. And it can be hard because you've invested a lot in
0: it. Are those confirmations external, internal, a combination? And the reason why I ask is because you and I have talked about this because we're both Seth Godin fans. Society, the way we think, measure things especially on social media is by numbers so that's external validation and it can be very discouraging when you put your heart and your soul into writing a piece with a lot of meaning looking something up making this beautiful little video from your heart and no one pays attention so yeah, how, do you, how do you know?
1: Well, did you enjoy making it? Yes. Are you proud when you look at it? Yes. Good enough. But I just think that we need to trust in the small steps. We need to know the direction, the direction that we're moving to. Does it matter if there's no destination yet? Because not every, not every direction shows us what the destination is. You've got to get over that mountain before you can see that town that's sitting in the bay looking out at the scene.
0: You paint such beautiful pictures. I, I feel like when you're talking, there's such a visual storytelling component that goes along with it. What do you think, this is something that I've been wondering about as of late. I didn't, and this surprised me. I have never really felt myself or considered myself to be an art aficionado. I can't really tell you about particular artists or their history. I cannot wax eloquently about art history and artists. But at the same time, as of late, I haven't felt that I've needed to. I've been finding myself at our local art museum, the Art Institute in Chicago, on a regular basis, seeking solace, yes. seeking healing, yes, seeking something where I can just be alone mm-hmm. and I can feel connected to something that's more powerful than I am more powerful that can be put into words. Does that make sense? It's really beautiful,
1: because I've never heard anyone describe why they go to gallery like that, and yet we all feel it. And it makes sense, like what I'm thinking of when you describe it like that, is that's what the artists did. They went into a quiet space. They made the work in a quiet place. It makes sense that you would go there where those paintings are hanging, because... In a way, that's, the, that's what the art does. It prepares that sort of quiet space where we can reflect, not just on what is beautiful, but also what is disturbing. Mm-hmm. What's disturbing our sleep? What's making us feel ill at ease? You know, our art also takes a look at those things. And there's something about taking what we don't really understand or what we love or what we appreciate and externalizing it, that we ask we ask questions through our art together collectively, and that art is this process of cohesion, there's an alchemy that takes place in art. Right? You feel that connection with the essence of who you are, and you know it. And for me, like when I do painting, it's the same thing, it's like an extension of the gesture. I'm really connected to that. Comes out my body, my body knowing. So I'm really in touch with that.
0: You've talked about how your writing and your painting have been tools that you've had all of your life. Yeah, capacities, you, capacities. So but do you think that it's possible later in life to Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, man is a mind rich in gems of inestimable value. Education alone. Education alone is what causes them to be revealed. And for mankind to to benefit from it, this is what Baha'u'llah teaches. So, it's all inside us.
0: Is that the same as creativity?
1: That is creativity.
0: So are we all creative in some capacity? Without exception. What prevents us from finding it or expressing it?
1: Um, This whole thing of disconnection. The idea that we imagine that we're separate from one another. We're not. Humanity is one. Who's to say, does it matter if it takes me 20 years to learn to paint? No, it should, because you have to train the eye and the hand to make tiny little movements that are directed by the brain. It's a tiny little adjustment. Can it be fun to take 20 years to learn something? Absolutely. Can I I learn how to um, appreciate that process? And honour it.
0: the journey, not the destination.
1: absolutely. Like, can I can I enjoy learning how to make something and and how and learn to appreciate how difficult it is? It's just it, then it becomes fascinating.
0: Mm. So that, now you're tapping into beginner mind, which is something we talk about in yoga, beginner mind. okay. Beginner mind is never feeling like, because it's not possible to ever be perfect or to be an expert or to know everything. Mm-hmm. So when you approach, approach with humility, maybe you've done triangle pose hundreds of times, but if you approach it with beginner mind, there's always a new opportunity something new to learn, not just maybe in the physical realm. Maybe you find an emotional shift. Maybe you learn something about yourself, about your tenacity or your stamina, or maybe you decide that it's okay to back off in this pose today for whatever reason. You make that discovery. Mm -hmm. But you can't discover something new. In something that seems old without beginner mind. Mm.
1: I love what you're saying about discovering your tenacity. Because you know, these are your gems. And and you know, we can discover those things inside ourselves right up until the very, very end of our lives. It's all there. So you just have to find what it is that you want to practice that's going to call out. Mm. Those those perfections waiting to be developed. And there are two ways. You can you can learn them through tests in life. Most of the you know, some tests we bring in ourselves through our own lack of foresight or ignorance. Others we have no choice over. And they appear to be the worst things that have happened to us. But sometimes they're actually the greatest gift. Because it calls on those capacities that we had no idea we possessed. And then there are those things that we elect to cultivate in ourselves. And I think yoga is one of those arts. That's lovely. I want to know why you teach yoga.
0: The shortest answer is because I have to. Mm. (laughs) The reason. (laughs) It's my calling. It's where I feel the most energized. It is where I feel the most completely and authentically myself because I can... And it took time for me to figure that out. Mm. It's where I can combine all of my strengths. It's where I can allow myself to be very imperfect, and it's still okay. Mm-hmm. It's the time where I can allow myself not just physical flexibility, but mental flexibility, to know mm-hmm. that I can try something, I can look at a class in a different way that I looked at it the previous time, and, and it's, it's all going to be okay. I accept that it's a journey, and I'm on this journey. I'm connected to the women I serve who are also on this wow. journey as well.
1: Wow. I never heard women in the talking about how it gave mental flexibility.
0: Well, remember, if you pull up a magazine, if you walk into the grocery store in the United States and you pick up a journal, a yoga journal, of some type, or a magazine of some type, or a fitness magazine of some type. It is about the physical, because that's what you can see very easily. That's what's easily translatable. It's superficially easy to sell, that it is a practice that will just make you more physically flexible, more able to do complicated poses that you can be proud of, and to have this particular body but that's mm-hmm. not what attracted me to yoga. I came at it differently. I came at it a little bit later, and that is not why, what attracted me personally to practice yoga. I started practicing yoga because I wanted to help my mother heal. Wow. She's a cancer survivor, and I wanted to find a way for her to be, to be in a physical environment, where she could move her body and she could find some physical healing from everything that she had endured. But she was also the type of, or is the type of person who is not a, I want to go to counseling and sit down and talk about what I've been through. She needed a supportive environment where she didn't need to use words, where everyone around her understood. And she found that in yoga practice, and I helped her find that, and I went with her, not totally understanding that I needed that too at the time. I couldn't put it into words for myself, but it really was for me more of a spiritual and mental and emotional practice than it was physical. Am I going to lie? Did I not enjoy the physical part? Of course. I liked Trying to stick a handstand and a headstand. And I was proud when I did it. But that was not the point for me of doing yoga. To listen to that inner voice we all like to run away from listening to was just life affirming and life giving. And I wanted to share that with a population of people that didn't see that, that just saw, look at tree pose on a mountaintop or, you know, something fancy. That's amazing. Thank you. What is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy, Arlette?
1: I think health operates on different levels. So there's a great interest in the world at the moment about having a healthy mind, Mm. which is fabulous. Of course you want to have a healthy mind, but really the easiest way to have a healthy mind It's to not talk badly about other people. To have a healthy body. Actually, most health in the body comes when we feel connected and when we feel loved. (laughs) Let's just give each other a break. Let's do something that makes the other person happy. What can I do that will make you happy? And if we're really not happy, let's be honest about it and say, I'm not happy. And then figure it out. What do we actually need to stop doing? Because usually it's something that we have to stop doing. Sometimes we need to ask for help. So it's like, let's sort out our relationships with each other. Because then we might find that we want to meet together. When we want to eat together, it creates relaxation. The body needs relaxation. The body needs exercise and it needs relaxation. So that's how we make a healthy body. The body becomes toned when it feels purposeful. Yoga gives us that sense of purposefulness, pure purposefulness. That's why we practice it, to remember what purposefulness feels like. I just like simple things. Keep it simple. Don't make it complicated. If we're getting complicated, it's just getting complicated. You need to slow down and simplify it. And I loved what you said about your mum earlier, that what she really needed was not to talk about things. I think sometimes we don't respect that enough. But actually sometimes just leaving it alone is good enough i I think a lot of women that have lived a longer life understand that that there's no point if we're upset, there's no point disturbing water. just let it settle, let the mud separate from the water, let the water clear, and then we'll know what to do so there's something about patience finding ways to be friendly to ourselves and to each other I think is really, really at the essence of what health is. Because you know, I could be racked like my mom is. My mom has very severe arthritis. And she lives in this little village and she has some very dear friends. And she goes out every Wednesday and she sees them. My mom is 76 now. And she's still does these amazing things where she puts herself out to help people in her community, friends who feel a little bit helpless over something. They maybe they could do it, but they just so sort of fuss about it in a way, or they never learned to drive. And so that a bit, you know, when their husband died, they couldn't take care of that side of their lives. So my mom gets in her car. And she just is very kind of matter of fact about it. So her life has real meaning and, connection and it in some ways it's easier for her because she's in this small village it people are aware that they need one another and in, in a city it's easier to trick your mind into thinking that you don't need other people but we need each other just as much in a city as we do anywhere and so i'm very impressed at the way that she lives her life because i can see that she's in a lot of physical pain Walking is actually difficult for her. And there's this is kindness that she and sort of interest and friendliness and warmth that she has kind of infused into her life. So her life is is good, actually. Her body isn't very healthy, but her life is healthy. Mm.
0: Thank you for that. This has been an incredible gift today to be here with you, to learn from you, to share this time with you. Thank you so very much, Arblad, for being here with us today.
1: Mutual, Nadine. It's really lovely to know you.
0: And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. Here's a quote by American artist Georgia O'Keefe I found I could say things with color and shapes that I couldn't say any other way, things I had no words for. Thank you so much for being a part of the storytelling series. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a lot. And I thank you for allowing me to share the joy. That I had in this creative process of bringing you this story from Tim, Catherine, Randy, and Arlette. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Having Nadine as my yoga teacher and I have ADD has helped me slow down, concentrate, and relax. I have found my neck where my shoulders don't from my ears all the time. To learn more and to practice yoga with me, find me at yogimd.net.